to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. I want to work on two words. Two words. The word adversity and then the word prosperity. David's Psalm, Psalm 35, verse 15. But in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. Look at verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which have pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So these two words, adversity and prosperity. Now, of course, this was written by David. And we need to be reminded a little bit of David's life. He was a little shepherd boy who looked after his father's flock. He was courageous enough to fight against lions and bears. But this young man also was an exceptional musician. and Ended up in the palace playing for King Saul. Saul had even wrote letters to Jesse because he was interested in this boy. And because of Saul's desire to do his own thing, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord had departed from him and David would play the harp. and That would take that troubled soul and bring about some comfort to him. Well, Samuel was called by God to anoint someone to reign in the place of Saul because he was disobedient. He took a ram's horn, poured the oil on David's head, and when David was anointed, the very next chapter says he had to fight Goliath. The person that is anointed by God is going to have to deal with opposition and enemies. David had to deal with Goliath, a giant of a man, a giant of a problem. But with nothing but a sling and some rocks out of a riverbed, he took that big man and brought him low. Goliath lost his life, and in the eyes of everybody, David was magnified. So he ends up with one of Saul's daughters. David becomes a warrior in the king's army. Pretty soon he's fighting battles, coming back considered to be a champion. The ladies are lining the streets, and they're shouting, Saul killed thousands of people. David, his tens of thousands of people. The scripture says that Saul began to eye or became jealous of David from that time forward. Imagine then what it would be like to be sitting at a table, having a meal with other royal people, and you can see that the king is looking at you. And even when you turn your head out of your peripheral vision, you know the king has his eyes fastened on you because he's angry about the praise you're receiving. Sitting there at the dinner table one day, the Bible says that Saul reached for a javelin and he threw that thing at David. And fortunately, David moved out of the way. But you can see now that David realizes 
He defeated Goliath on the outside. He made his way into the palace, but now he even has a greater foe than Goliath. That's Saul. Do you know when the devil is doing what he can to create jealousy and envy, God is usually working to try to preserve his servant. Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. And 1 Samuel 18 tells us very plainly that Jonathan's heart was knit together with David so that they became best friends. Jonathan knew that his father wanted to kill David. But you know, even with the trouble that came to David's life, Jonathan came on the scene just for that. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a brother is born for adversity. It's important to know that. But in David's case, there are some things we can learn. And the first thing is really simple. Adverse circumstances that come your way don't always come because something you've done wrong. David was just living for God. Now, this this word adversity that we see in verse 15 in English, of course, it's an it's an interesting word. But the word itself implies that there had been some favorable circumstances. Everything went in reverse. That's why we call it adversity. There had been peace. There had been blessing. But now there has been something or someone who's entered the picture that have put things in reverse. And that's exactly what happened with Saul. He began to persecute David. David was such a righteous man that he wouldn't even lift a finger to touch Saul when he could have killed him numerous of times. But yet David said, how can I touch the anointed of God? As wicked as David or as wicked as Saul became, David still considered him to be God's anointed, even though his life was going in the wrong direction. So adversity comes to all of us. How are we going to handle it? How do we respond? David dealt with Saul not by attacking him, but by putting a muzzle on his mouth and by simply fleeing. He fled from the presence of Saul, and for at least seven years or so, he was running from one cave to another, from one hideout to another. Terrible things were taking place. He even went and tried to stand with other brethren who supported him. Trouble came to them. This is what we have. Now, I know that when we pass through adverse times, that adversity, it reveals and it tests the strength of our friendships, because the people that you probably thought were your good friends maybe weren't as close to you as you thought they would be. Maybe some people that you didn't think thought much about you at all when you passed through difficult times, they were the ones that were there to give you a shoulder to lean on. That's what David found out here with Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 18. The first four verses make it very plain that Jonathan took off his raiment and he gave it to David to let David know that you and I are one. We're together in this. They became the best of friends. David had somebody in his life that was telling him the plans of his dad, even when his dad was trying to kill him. Imagine that. Jonathan's father hated David so much that he said to his son, Jonathan, I want you to help me to find him so I can kill him. But Jonathan's relationship with David was so solid that the man would go against his own flesh and blood in order to preserve the anointed of God. That's a friend. That's a friend. 
And this is what David had. It says in 1 Samuel 19, verse 18, that, that David eventually fled into the presence of Samuel. Samuel wasn't afraid of Saul. When he got to Samuel, Samuel took him to a special place, and Samuel protected him and preserved him. But the prophet of God who anointed him was not afraid of the king. He had anointed that king also. Even in adverse times, he found that Samuel hadn't turned his back on him. Sometimes when you lose favor with powerful people, other people will turn their back on you because they don't want to lose favor with powerful people. But Samuel wasn't intimidated by the royal throne. He knew that he had a connection with God. And regardless of what Saul was attempting to do, God himself would preserve him as well as the anointed of the Lord. Remember that that Saul had turned from the truth of God's word. He was rebellious stubborn. And so I want you to see that when you're walking with God, God will put people in your life that will stand with you. And sometimes in standing with you, difficulties will come to them. Let's not forget 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 18. David and his men were hungry, so they went to the tabernacle to visit the priests, more than 80 of them. The Bible said one of Saul's spies was there. He went back and told the king, he said, I found him. They were there at the tabernacle eating the bread that only the priests are supposed to eat. Saul said, is that right? So sure enough, Saul came with his army. They surrounded the city. They came into the city. They brought all the priests out and said, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask. Number one, did you not know that I said wherever David is found, I want to be notified. Yes, we knew that. Did you not hear me when I said that I don't want anybody supporting this man because he's an enemy of the state? They said, we knew that. What did they do? They fed David and his men. They protected David and his men. They even gave David and his men Goliath's sword. Saul said to his men, I want you to kill every one of these priests in front of everybody. That's what they did. Imagine that. Children lost their dad, their dad. Wives lost their husbands, mothers lost their sons. David was grieving over all of this because he knew when he saw Saul's spy that he would go back and tell him. But even in spite of all of that, David still had friends that lived and supported him and yet died because they believed he was the anointed of the Lord. How many friends do you have that you can say are like that? Greater love has no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for his friend. I had a man many years ago, 20 years ago, who was in his late 70s, said to me one time when I was dealing with friendships, he said to me, Pastor, I I don't know that in my life I've ever had a true friend. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, you know. But here's what the Bible says. He that has friends must first show himself friendly. If you want friends in your life, you have to be friendly towards other people. It's reaping and sowing. You give into other people's lives, take the time, then other people sow back into your life. This man David lived on the run. He had to deal with Saul all the years that Saul was on the throne. This man reigned for 40 years. David fought Goliath. Goliath fell down quickly. But this problem named Saul will not go away. That's what makes it an adversity. 
This is, what makes, this is what makes it difficult when you're fighting a battle that you can't seemingly win. You know you have power over it. You know you have control. But yet everywhere you go, you're dealing with adversity. It's in your home. It's on the outside. It's in every direction. You can't get away from Saul. This is what David had to deal with. But you need to know that all problems And all adverse circumstances have an expiration date. They're not going to last always. And some people that are in your life causing problems today, it is possible to pray them away. Oh, yeah, there have been a whole lot of people that have said little prayers like this. Father, now you know my heart. I love you with everything inside of me. I'm doing my best to serve you. But, you know, feel free to find a way to ship him or her off to Alaska. Oh, yeah, people have prayed prayers like that a whole lot. And there have been a whole lot of pastors, I can tell you, they prayed people right on out of the church. You know, they talked to God, said, Father, you called me to shepherd these people, and I love it. There's nothing else that, that we would rather do. And then just in the privacy of their own heart. Now, Lord, if you if you feel so inclined, you can move brother so-and-so off the board and into another state. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot of whole lot of prayers like that. So when when we're dealing with adversity, we need to know that that God provides us with the grace to pass through it. Now, what's interesting to me, though, is the book of Psalms is the ancient Israelite hymn book. And Psalm 35 has the little inscription at the top that says a Psalm of David. Here is a man that in some of the most difficult moments of his life, he could sing. Have you ever done that? Some of the toughest periods of your life. Horrible times you've had to pass through. And yet in the middle of that, you find yourself having to begin to sing. I think that's the only way to somehow survive a cave. You know, if you if if you're going to if if you're going to if you're going to survive something and you want to learn about survival skills, then you probably ought to talk to somebody who survived and had their faith intact when they came out of the valley of the shadow of death. So sometimes when you look at the Psalms, you're not just looking at a psalm where a man is singing about being on top of the mountain and everything going right. Sometimes you read one of these Psalms of David and you realize this man had more problems than anybody could shake a stick at. But yet he maintained his faith in God. I've seen plenty of people who as long as things are going well with them, they serve God. But when they have problems like David had, They turn away from the king. True survivor is somebody that walks through the darkest times of life. And when it's all over, they're still holding hands with God saying, Father, I have no idea on this earth how you're leading me, how you're taking me. I don't understand everything taking place. I don't even understand why certain things are permitted, God, but I'm still walking with you. That's somebody that's a survivor. See, We've all seen our fair share of people that have backslid and walked away from God. All these years pastoring, I've seen people come through through the churches where when when they're experiencing lack 
and they're having pains in their bodies and they're having other difficulties and things like that. Oh, you can't get them out of church. I'm telling you, they're there. I pull up in the parking lot. They're there. I'm doing, doing service. They're wide awake, paying attention. One of the last to leave when it comes to the church services. And they're constantly bringing prayer requests. And let's do this. Let's do this. Let's be busy for the Lord. But then all of a sudden, blessing comes. Promotion comes. God begins to fill that cup. And it seems like they're being overtaken from every side by the goodness of God. And then pretty soon you're saying, well, I hadn't seen so-and-so in a while. Anybody run into them at all? What's going on with them? And then you go and track them down. You say, look, I've been looking for you. How you doing? You know, just been thinking about you, praying for you, been on my heart. Well, you know, Pastor Sunday is about the only day I have off now. And so, you know, the kids and I, we kind of like to go boating now. And, and we've got to do what we can. Now the kids, they like the jet skis. And, you know, it's a hunting day. Now season has, has begun and we like to do this or do that. But folks, I'm telling you right now, when it comes to a man like David, you see in his life a relationship with God that is real and pure no matter what is taking place. Goliath is in the valley. David's talking about God. Saul is on the throne. David's talking about God. His kids are trying to kill him. He's still writing psalms and thinking about God. Can you sing in the night? You can sing in the morning, I'm sure, but can you sing at midnight when you don't see any light at all? You don't see any exit sign? No way out of this circumstance at all? Can you do like Paul and Silas? Offer prayers and praises at midnight. Sing loud enough for everybody else in the prison to hear you. Because there are other people passing through the same trial, if not the same one, one that is certainly similar. And they're watching you to see how you handle adversity. We know how David did it. David said, Lord, let the angel of God chase them all up and down the mountains of Israel. We have to be the kind of people, as Jesus said, Father, bless them, persecute me. Hanging up there on that cross. What did Jesus say about them Roman soldiers? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. David wouldn't have said that. David would have said they know exactly what they're doing, Lord. They're trying to tear me into pieces. They refuse to stop. I pray, O oh God, that you let them be like the chaff in the wind. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. But Jesus hangs there at Calvary. And Jesus says... Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's Christ that lives in our hearts by faith now. And when we understand that, we'll see how God really helps us deal with adversity. But like I said, adversity isn't to be here forever and ever. So verse 15, it says, in adversity, my enemies rejoiced. First Corinthians 13 tells us love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. So we're not happy when people are experiencing tough times, difficult times. There are some people who get excited when people pass through tough times. Oh, yeah. I've, I've met people, devious people, mean-spirited people, who when they've had a difficult marriage or something like that, they've hoped that other people that have had good marriages, that they'd experience the troubles that they've experienced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've actually had parents say to me in other locations, that when that when they lost a kid, I hope one day you lose a child. Not to me, but about another parent, other people. 
When people are hurt and people are wounded, sometimes they lash out and say the worst things. But the scripture makes it very plain concerning David. They rejoiced at the adversity that came to him. We shouldn't be like that. We have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I don't rejoice in anybody's iniquity. I don't rejoice in anybody's pain. I don't want to see anybody lost. I mean, think about it for a second. The Bible says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That means there have been several billions of people and more that have traveled the road. You and I are traveling right now. They didn't have the conveniences we have. But they made it from earth to heaven. They passed through torture, other difficulties, sickness, afflictions, all kinds of maimings and other things they had to deal with. Some starved to death, but they made it to heaven. Now they're enjoying eternal bliss. They're in the presence of God with other saints. They're worshiping and praising the Lord. They have a place that has been prepared for them in heaven, and they're excited. And I can tell you right now, if you could talk to any of them, there's not a one of them that would trade their position right now to come back here and sit next to you tonight. They're happy to be there. But on the other side, people that don't know God. Every few moments, there's somebody that draws a last breath and passes into a Christless eternity. A place that Jesus said is a place where the worm doesn't die. Where we know from the story in Luke, where there's an intense flame. He's people down there yearning for just somebody to give them a little moisture to put on their tongue. The reality of heaven is something that we should never forget. And the reality of hell is something we should never forget also. I remember one time preaching a message on hell over in Red Cloud Church. And after that service, you know, I I thought I'd dealt with it in a pretty clear way, but, but you know, that's a sobering message. You know, it's hard to preach on that without tears and certainly hard to preach on that and have a smile on your face. But at the end of that service, I remember a little girl ran down, a teenage girl ran down in that altar, gave her heart to the Lord. She later on went to Tulsa, went to Bible college, went off into missions and everything like that. But, but afterwards, I was talking with one of the men in the church and I said, you know, I just... I feel like I was just a little too harsh in dealing with that issue, you know, talking with him. And this old gentleman named T. Crenshaw, he was a, an old horse veterinarian who was in the church at that time. He told me, he said, well, he said, Pastor, here's what I tell you. He said, if, 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 if God were to just pull back all the carpet here in this church and just move all of the dirt and the concrete and all of that and, and give everybody in here a few moments, just a glimpse into hell and let one of those embers from the flames just tickle the bottoms of their feet. He said, I promise you, everybody in here come alive and understand the reality of what you preach today. You know, Because we forget that as we sit here, Around the throne of God, there are folks saying, holy, holy, holy. But at the same time, there are folks that are screaming out in agony. And will be crying for all eternity. Because they know there's a God now and they have no way of getting to him. And they're being tortured. This man David said, folks were rejoicing in his adversity. I don't think that's God's plan for us. The love of God constrains us. We do what we can to reach people. But folks, this isn't the end of the story. 
God's plan for you, God's plan for me, is not to spend the rest of our life in adversities. Like the old folks said, I'm glad trouble don't last always, just for a season. Notice verse 27 again. He says, let them shout for joy and be glad. God wants a new kind of emotion to be exhibited in those that are walking with him. Here comes the happiness and the pleasure. He says, those that stand for a righteous cause, let them say with their lips, and I'm adding that, let the Lord be magnified, which have pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. It pleases God to see us prosper. He wants us to move from adversity through adversity over into prosperity because that's where the blessing of God is for us. He wants us to enjoy wholeness. If you have two coats, that's a blessing. You can give a coat to somebody, give a coat to someone who doesn't have one. You say, well, pastor, if I start giving away what I have, what am I going to have for myself? Well, remember the God that gave you two coats in the beginning can give you two coats again. And God prospers us to be able to be a blessing to other people. So in order to enjoy prosperity, you need to know you've got to have people that believe in you. This is what happened with David. Saul eventually died. He got involved with witchcraft and the Lord was displeased even more with him. And on the battlefield with the Philistines, he and his three sons ended up in trouble. Saul was so wounded, he tried to take his own life. He told his servant, take your sword, thrust me through. Servant wouldn't do it. Saul fell on his own sword. The servant felt so bad, he took his own life, committed suicide right next to his master. When it's all over, because Saul was such a vicious man, such a vindictive man, man, a mean-spirited man, when the Philistines saw his carcass on the ground, they decapitated him stripped him of all of his armor, and then nailed his body to the wall of Bethshad so that everybody that walked past would see, here's a man that caused us a few problems, but look at him now. See, folks, this is what it means when it says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. If you treat people in a bad way, it's all going to come back on you, and people are going to treat you in a bad way. Even after he was dead, they wanted to shame him. But David... Maintained his relationship with God. The men of Hebron came to him in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and they said, we want you to be king over us. He reigned over them for seven years. The elders of Israel finally came to him and said, David, we want you to reign over us. He reigned over them for 33 years. Altogether, 40 years he was on the throne. But here's my point. You can only enjoy prosperity if you're surrounded by people who believe in you and support you. You have to have people like that. I don't know if if this ever happened to any of you out here, but I know this happens in the city all the time. Kid gets old enough to apply for a job. Then they got to go fill out an application. That's how they had to do it back then. Now they do it all online. But you had to go fill out an application. And a lot of times the manager would be sitting there over in the corner somewhere watching you as you filled out the application at your little McDonald's or wherever you were at. And then they had the little part where it said experience. Well, you, ain't, you don't have any. 
You just turned 16. It's the first time you can apply for a job. You're happy to be able to apply. And then you get over there. And then the, the boss man says, well, look, you don't have any experience. And of course, you're thinking, how am I going to get any experience if I can't get my foot through the door to gain some experience? But eventually you keep applying. And then there's finally someone whose heart is touched by you. And that'll be the one opens up the door for you to move into further blessing. All of us in here have enjoyed prosperity of a variety of different kinds because somebody believed in us or loved us. I couldn't travel and preach and do what I do if I didn't have folks out here that tithe and gave offering and believed in us. That's the same thing with preaching. You wouldn't be able to have the job that you had, maintain the job that you had, unless somebody believed in you, loved you, and supported you. It's impossible. So God has to have people in positions that that can be blessed by other people. So God blesses you to be a blessing to other folks. That's what this whole thing is about. And David teaches us that God prospers you to be able to prosper other people. So a story came to, to David one time because David made the, I don't want to say the mistake, David sinned. He should have been out fighting like everybody else, but he was busy walking around a rooftop staring at a neighbor who was bathing up there on, on the roof. And pretty soon he ended up in a relationship with her. She became pregnant. He conspired, got her husband killed. He died on the battlefield. David thought nobody saw it. I mean, he's still running around writing psalms and acting holy in the tabernacle. And finally, God, God sent Nathan around and said, would you, would you please go talk to David? Because David is on a bad path and he doesn't realize that, that I see what's going on. So Nathan goes and he sees him. He says, now, King, you're not going to believe what's going on down here in River City right now. I'm telling you, it's bad. He said, well, what's going on, prophet? Tell, tell me what's going on. He said, well, there was a gentleman that had some sheep. And he had one little sheep that he raised as a pet for his kids. And the kids loved the little sheep. And said, you should have saw this little sheep. Livia played with this sheep all the time. The dad was so glad to have this sheep. But this dad had a neighbor. And the neighbor, he had some friends coming. And he wanted to offer, or I should say, he wanted to prepare a sumptuous feast for his friends. But he didn't want to take any of his livestock. So he got the neighbor's sheep, the one that they loved. They'd even named the sheep. So they took that little thing and ate it and devoured it. And I mean, it was terrible. It was mean spirited about it. Never even gave the man any money for it. And David said, I want to know who the gentleman was that did this. And he's going to restore everything he's taken away. And Nathan put that little bony finger up under David's nose and said, you're the one that did this. And then that's when God said to him through Nathan, didn't I anoint you and take you from chasing sheep to making you the king over Israel? Didn't I give you Saul's throne, his wives, blessing and prosperity? And he said, I would have given you so much more. And here you turn around and do this and think you're going to get away with it. Yeah. This man Saul 
or I should say David was in trouble because he, his problem was he couldn't handle the prosperity that God gave him at this time. And I'm convinced, I'm, I'm convinced, all of these years of just watching people and, and, and ministering and traveling, that there's some people who do better with prosperity than others. I'm convinced of that. You, know. you say, what, what, makes you, what makes you say that? Well, the Lord said, he that is faithful over little will be a ruler over much. If you can be faithful over what God gives you and it's just a small amount, your character will be so established that usually when you get to where God's pouring into abundance and blessing in your life, you'll be the exact same way. But you show me a kid that's selfish when they're a child and they don't want to give to anybody else, don't want to share with anybody else, don't want to give to God, fight and murmur and stubborn about it. I'm telling you, that's trouble if they ever end up with a whole lot of cash. It's trouble. Some can't handle it. And because they can't handle it, the character issue is manifested. This man, David, had everything that he needed. But then he decided he just needed somebody else's woman. Yeah, he didn't need her at all. But he convinced himself that he did. But he did know this, though. When he was made king over Israel, he made a statement that I love. And he said, God has promoted me or anointed me to be king over Israel for Israel's sake. He understood that the blessing in his life wasn't just for him, but it was for others. And I want you to understand that God prospers you to bless others. And when you have that perception and you realize that God has given you what he's given to you to be a blessing to other people, you'll find out that God gives you more. God doesn't want us to be a pond. He doesn't want us to be a lake. He wants us to be a river, he wants our lives to be a river so that as he gives it to us, it just flows right through us and blesses and refreshes other people. I was talking to Tiffany the other day. I said, honey, I wonder just in the years we've been married, how many thousands of dollars we've given to missions from Central America to the Middle East, Africa and different places. I just don't think I'd be able to count it up. I said, I wonder how many miles have we driven since we've been out here in Nebraska? I'm sure if if it's not a million, it's close to it. Just on the road, all the time driving. But God prospers us in order to be a blessing to other people. And if you want God to give you more, you've got to be willing to give more away. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be willing to give more away. God's not looking at what we're uh, given away so much as he's looking at what we're trying to keep back. And that's how most people are. I hear somebody come to me and they say, Pastor, I, I just need to know when I tithe, do I need to tithe on the gross or do I need to tithe on what, what's coming into my hands? And see, I'm trying to pay attention to that attitude when they're asking. Some people genuinely want to know, but some people just trying to do everything they can to hold on to what little bit they got because they don't want to give more to God. And God isn't just paying attention to what you give away. He's also looking at what you're trying to keep back, you see. So God prospers you to bless others. The true test of service in the kingdom of God for a Christian isn't just how we handle poverty, but how we handle uh, prosperity. It isn't just how we handle adversity, but it's how we handle prosperity. If you can do well 
with blessing, then God will continue to give you blessing. But if blessing becomes something in your life that's an anchor that takes you down, you'll find that you'll lose your shout for joy and you lose your gladness. And in Psalm 35, verse 27 says, let them shout for joy and be glad. And when the blessings God has given you no longer put a smile on your face, you're in a bad position. Bad position. To have a house that doesn't leak. To have a car that you can drive. To have more clothes than you know what to do with. To be able to walk over to a wall and hit a button, air condition comes on. Hit another button, heat comes on in the winter. To be able to walk over there into that kitchen and then open up that refrigerator and have all that food that's been preserved. Oh, I'm telling you, you got more, you got more conveniences than ancient king. Solomon didn't even know what ice was, like you know what it is in your house. But you can walk right over there to that freezer. You can pull stuff out and just let it sit there for the next 12 hours and thaw out. And then you can go ahead and make it anytime that you want. And then we turn around and have the audacity to cry and murmur and scream at God because we had to have supper and had to eat Spam. I'm telling you, folks, there are people all over this earth that love to have a can of Spam right now. They'd be glad to have that thick meat. Besides, I like ham that's thick enough that when you hold it up to the light, you can't see through it. That's what I like. Yeah. So the scripture here tells us, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God wants you to have things. It's not God's desire for your life that it be filled with adversity. But you can see it pleases him that you enjoy prosperity. What you make of that. What it is for you may be different for somebody else, but if you let God have his way in your heart and in your life, you'll find that prosperity to be something that very valuable. You'll want to hold on to it. Why sacrifice all that God has given to you for sin? Remember what Nathan said in that prophecy to David. In the last sentence, it said, and I would have done so much more for you. That is to say, David, there was a lot more blessing that could have come your way, but sin has now limited my ability to provide that for you, and it has now restricted you to this amount of blessing. Folks, I pray God keeps us from the sin business. I pray God helps us to walk close to him. And like the old hymn says, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Yeah, from adversity to prosperity. That is where God wants us, enjoying the blessing of the Lord. We're all familiar with 3 John. Brethren, I wish above all things you'd prosper, be in good health. And it adds, as your soul prospers. See, it's a comparative thing. Put it on equal, equal terms. But now you've got another verse in Psalm 35 that makes it very plain to you that it pleases him to see you prosper because he's magnified through your life. Yeah. More for missions. More for the poor. And I think there's a verse in the Bible says something like this. He that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Yeah. If you've ever had anybody in debt to you, 
then you know that you probably wanted to be paid back. But I think it's pretty good if the Lord says, I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm going to owe you something. Not a whole lot of verses like that in the Bible. But when you give to the poor, then God is saying, okay, okay, I'm, I've, I've, got to, I've got to deal with you, Don. One thing about God is, is you don't have to worry about him saying, I, I owe so many of these Christian people. We've got to talk to the great pantheon of all of these fake gods and, and try to declare bankruptcy. Oh, no. God's going to pay you everything that is coming to you. So remember that when you're having to deal with the poor, because there's always someone who's worse off than you. Always someone worse off than you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That Psalm 35, a couple of verses there could speak so clearly about a man named David and speak so clearly about how you want to lead and guide us. You want us to know that you're greater in us than any trial or circumstance that we could face. And that, Father, you have never, ever been opposed to your people prospering. That's been the the pleasure of your existence to see your people move ahead. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. We pray that you continue to make each one of us fruitful in your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, amen, amen, amen.